welcome to the new year. Matt is coming back uh, today from visiting family, and then he's headed right out to go to Passion uh, with the group that's headed down there. So um, in his place this morning, we have uh, Mike Pennington with us here. Um, he is the director of missions for the Bledsoe Baptist Association. Um, you've seen us participating with them here this year. Um, it's always been a comfort. He was a great help for us in our transition to get Matt in uh, and really helped us put a firm foundation to have a new pastor come in and um, basically run run right out of the gate without a hitch. So uh, we're very grateful for Mike and his contribution here. We're glad to have him here. It's been kind of an annual occurrence mm -hmm. um, that he's been out for uh, the basically the Sunday after New, after Christmas, mm -hmm. uh, so usually it's around New Year's uh, and that, so he gets to kick off the year, and uh, we'd like to welcome Mike up. Thank you, Tom. It is a great joy to be with you this morning. Thank the Lord for the opportunity to be able to, um, uh, to share the Word of the Lord with you today. Yes, my voice is about an octave lower than uh, it was last year, but uh, some of the rest of you are dealing with sinus and crud and allergies, and, and I sort of am too, but um, uh, God's going to give strength, amen, for the, uh, the message and, and this kind of thing. Uh, it is just a, a tremendous joy to be here, to have just the opportunity to share the Word. Uh, uh, two years ago, I led the church, the church was without a pastor, through the Advent season, and we did four or five messages uh, about Advent, and I want you to know that those messages are still popular. I'm still using them when I get a chance to preach in December and had that opportunity a couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago. I want to tell you just how much I appreciate your pastor and love him and appreciate he and his wife and what God is doing through him. Uh, uh, God is doing something good around here, and I am just excited about that and um, uh, excited about the pastor that God has given you and what, um, uh, what the Lord is going to be doing. Uh, Tom mentioned that I'm director of missions of the Bledsoe Baptist Association. Just in case you don't know much about us, just let me take a moment and share that we are 40 churches scattered across Sumner, Macon, and Trousdale counties, and so you're part of our association. Baptists believe that we can do more together than we can separately, and so we gather together for fellowship and for strength and for mission and uh, to do those things that God has called us, uh, called us to do. And so we're a fellowship of churches, we're a family of churches, and I am so thankful that you're a part of our family of, um, uh, family of churches. It is kind of dark right where I'm standing. Is there any way to get any more light up here? No, that's worse. <laughs> okay, no, I can't see now. Thank you. <laughs> that's... Um, It'd be a very short message if I can't see the Bible or my notes. And so, uh, so anyway, I'm going to, all right. And so, um, uh, again, it's, it's, ah, wow. Okay, now that's better. Okay, I can see. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, y'all probably didn't want to see me, but I really do need to see the Word. And so, so thank you. Um, uh, thank you very much. We've just passed through the Advent season. We have, um, did y'all light the Advent wreath this year? Did you do that uh, in December? No? Okay, well, that's all right. Well, anyway, we've just come through the time of celebrating the birth of Christ. We'll remember the, the prophecies, remember the preparation, we remember the celebration, remember the joy and what God has done uh, in the life of, um, uh, in, in, you know, joy to the world. The Lord is come, and so that's what Christmas is all about. This is kicking off a new year. 
this is starting, you know, a fresh start. And many people make New Year's resolutions, uh, this kind of thing. I, um, I set some goals for myself. I don't know that I call them, uh, call them resolutions and, and this kind of thing. But as we think about, we've just celebrated the, the baby born in Bethlehem, but would you realize that without the resurrection and the ascension into heaven, that was just another baby born in Bethlehem? The resurrection and the ascension of Christ into the, into the heavens where he has sprinkled his blood in the tabernacle in heaven, that proves that he is God, that he is Lord, and that we are, are worshiping a risen Savior. Paul said, if Christ be not risen, we are to be pitied among all men. And so today I want us to look at Revelation chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, Revelation chapter 1, we're going to be looking at what I call worshiping the real Jesus. And not that I wouldn't accuse you of ever having worshipped a different Jesus. That that's not it. I'm just wanting to show you the reality picture. What is it that God says about the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's beautifully portrayed for us as we look at um, uh, as we look at Revelation chapter one. So let's stand together in honor of, of God's word. And you listen. I'm going to read the whole 18 verses of Revelation chapter one. This is the word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, remember that word, his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the, uh, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. Listen to what Jesus says about us. He loves us and has freed us by, from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God. And Father, to, the, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. And then Jesus speaks himself, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Thyatira and Smyrna, Pergamum and Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his, the, around his chest. The hair on his head were white like, white, like white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and in his mouth came a sharp out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write these things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for you, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Please be seated. <clears throat> One thing that you understand about God, if you, read the Old, if you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, God is a relational God. Christy and I were talking about this. My wife, Christy, is here. Uh, she has been welcomed by you all uh, several times. I just wanted to recognize her again. Wave, doll. Thank you. And um, uh, I married up, way up, I, I, I'll guarantee you, God, God blessed. And well, we were talking about this, how that, um, that, that God is a relational God. God loves to be in relationship with his people. Name me any other religion in which the one that they are worshiping desires to come and live among them. It's not out there. That's why Christianity, my dear friends, is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with a holy God, but a God who loves us and desires to be with us. Uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, and don't mind, you know, you might write it down and look up it later, but when he was giving example or giving um, instructions for the tabernacle, he said, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God desires to be among us. Jesus when he came to the Last Supper, and we just see Jesus relational all through the, the, the New Testament. When he came to the Last Supper, he says, I've eagerly desired to fellowship with you like this. If you look at John chapter, or 1 John uh, chapter 1, where it, it talks about that, that, that the one that we have seen and that we have touched, that, that we have fellowship with him, and we have, but because of our fellowship with him, we have fellowship one with another. And so God desires a relationship with us, and we're going to look at that relationship. The first point in this message is Jesus and his servants, or Jesus and his slaves. Jesus and his servants. God has something to show us in this relationship of servanthood with us. And just look, before I explain those points that are there, let me mention that, that the word for servant here is the word doulos, and it literally does mean slave. I looked it up in the Greek lexicon uh, yesterday just to, be, uh, just to be read. It means property, or properly it means someone who belongs to another, a bond slave without any ownership rights of their own. Ironically, now this is the beautiful thing, in the New Testament it's used with the highest dignity, namely of believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. Isn't it just like God to take a word that is negative in the world? and make it a positive, that we now are his bondservants, that we, that, that we have been freed by him. We's, he's given us grace, but now we are, are living in that relationship with him that is just a powerful, powerful thing. You see three things there on the, on the screen that indicate that this is a relationship of grace. And folks, it's all of grace. It's not of works. Can somebody say amen? It is not of works. We have to answer the question, my dear brothers and sisters, is salvation of God or is it of man? And if it is of man, 
How much of manly works do we have to do to please this God? Folks, I, I just get, you know, you, you read the Scripture and you see that salvation is of God, that He has invited us into a love relationship. He's invited us into a relationship of, of grace. Uh, in verse 4, that we've already read, uh, already read, grace and peace to you from Him who was and who is and who is to come. It's a relationship of grace. Now, grace has been described as God's unmerited favor. It's been a acrostic of God's riches at Christ's expense. But I like a definition that the former pastor of First Baptist Gallatin used to use. He said, grace is treating someone better than they deserve. Boy, that is true, isn't it? He has treated us better than we, than we deserve. Jesus came and died on that cross. Jesus came and gave his life. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus invites us into a relationship. The Holy Spirit quickens our heart that we might open our eyes to see the, the truth of the gospel and, um, uh, and, and trust him as Savior. And, Lord, it is all of grace. And we see that he loves us. He has washed us. He's made us kings and priests. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. He is in a relational God, and this is what He has done with, uh, for, for us. It's a relationship of grace, but that's not all. Number two, it's a relationship of responsibility. It's a relationship of responsibility. If we look back at verse, um, uh, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and those who hear and those who keep what is written in it. When we are in this relationship of grace, we want to grow. We want to be more like Him. The Bible says that, that um, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then He goes on to say, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He's given us responsibilities. We grow up in Him. We, uh, we become more and more like him. One of your favorite verses likely is Romans 8, 28 and 29. I hope 29 is as favorite as 28. And we know that all things work together for good. You know, the most important word in that whole, that whole phrase there, we know. You've got to know that you know that you know that he is Lord and that his word is true. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So don't ever stop at verse 28. Go on and quote 29 because it talks about what His purpose is, that we be conformed to the image, the precious image of His dear Son, a relationship of responsibility. And you know what this describes here? Read, hear, and obey, and be blessed. It describes a personal devotional life. It describes what Paul would talk about of pray without ceasing, living in the awareness of God. And I, I, I would be, um, I, I've never, I started memorizing the book of Revelation, and I got through chapter 1, and I'm not going to quote it this morning because I'd probably forget something. I don't want to, uh, to distract anybody. But, but I don't understand a whole lot in Revelation. There's a lot here that I don't understand, but the Bible says there's a promise. If I read these words and hear these words, and obey these words, I will be blessed. And so we have a relationship of grace. We have a relationship of responsibility. And where does that relationship lead us? Number three, it's a relationship that leads us to proclamation. It's a relationship that leads us to proclamation. Notice what it says here in, um, uh, in verse 1 and 2. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made known by sending his angel to who? To his servant, his slave, John, who bore witness to the word of God. And so God, John is, is bearing witness. He is giving testimony. And notice in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and kingdom and uh, pa patient endurance that are in Christ, was on the Isle of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. His relationship with Christ led to him proclaiming Jesus as Lord, and that got him in trouble, got him thrown onto an island. However, uh, wouldn't you say it was worth it? We got the book of Revelation out of, um, uh, out of the apostle John. God knew exactly what he was doing. God was what was preparing John. And so he's given us these commands, a relationship. Go on to the next slide, brother. He's given these commands that we, that, that we might obey him and that we might move forward with the word of God as a testimony to the, word, to the Lord and so he's made us uh, kings and priests to represent God and to proclaim him everywhere we go. And so as bond slaves, as obedient relationship of grace, we proclaim him king of kings and Lord of lords. But that leads us to the second major thing I want to say. We've talked about Jesus and his servants. Let's look for a moment at Jesus and his character. Who is the one that we are worshiping? If I'm talking to you today about worshiping the real Jesus, then, then what, what, what is it that we, uh, that we see here? First of all, the Scripture clearly declares that He is God. In verse 4, grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And then Jesus in His own, uh, in his own word says that later in the, um, uh, in, in the, uh, uh, in the passage in the um, uh, verse 17 and following, I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He said, fear not, I'm the first and the last, the living one. Jesus is eternal. He is, the, he, he is God and he was God. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. But number two, about his character, he's a faithful witness. It's in verse 5. He's the faithful witness. In fact, all three of these next characteristics are there. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the resurrected one, and he's a ruler of the kings of the earth. Who is a witness? If you go to a trial and there's a witness on the witness stand, what are they to do? They're to tell the... Well, that was pretty weak, but I think you got it. Say it again. They're to tell the... The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Jesus came and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was the perfect witness of the Father. Sometimes we, um, and my wife and I were talking about this uh, this week too, somebody even said in a book that she was reading or a blog or something that, that the God of the Old Testament was somewhat unapproachable. Now, I disagree with that. I don't believe God was unapproachable at, at, at all. But maybe you have felt that. Maybe you've thought, well, the God of the Old Testament seems this or that. Maybe there's some wrath or some judgment or there's some things that you don't understand. I want you to understand something, folks. If you want to understand God, take a long look at Jesus. Amen? Take a long look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in the form of a baby, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, ridiculed, reviled, eventually persecuted, and, and, and crucified on a cross. And then he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he came to his disciples. And you know what he said to them? 
peace. Peace be with you. He said, the Father has sent me to seek and to save the lost. And after his resurrection, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus was the perfect witness of the Father. He's the resurrected one, and he's the ruler of kings. And I'm not going to get into that much, but that speaks of his uh, authority. And I would just want to encourage you, and probably every pastor in the nation has said this at one time or another recently, don't get too upset over politics and elections. Jesus is in charge. Amen? Jesus is in charge. The next major point, Jesus and his mission. We've looked at Jesus and his relationship with us as his servants. We've looked at Jesus and, and, the, um, um, uh, and, and his character, who he is. He's God and the witness, etc. But what was his mission? First of all, and this is not really part of his mission, he's just declaring to them, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Now, let me give you just a little bit of the, um, the, the situation of the, uh, of the first century when John was writing this. The church was in incredible persecution. There were Christians being burned at the stake. There were Christians who were being lit by Nero in, um, and this may not be exactly the same time, but in the persecution, they lit, lit up to light the city with, with, uh, with persecution. They were being thrown into lions. It was, the, the persecution was incredible. And this book of Revelation is written to encourage the church, to encourage God's people. I've not forgotten you. I love you. I am with you, and I'm coming again. Jesus wanted to establish that. He says that even those who pierced him, they'll all know him, and they will, they, they will mourn the fact that they pierced him. There's another thing about his mission. Why is the book of Revelation written, and why is, um, uh, why is this book so important? Well, he wrote it to encourage the church for life and ministry and suffering. That's number two, to prepare the church for life ministry and suffering. Verse 9 and 10, it says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. I was on the Isle of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you hear and put it into a book and send that to the churches. The church was suffering and Jesus wrote to say, hey, I'm coming again. And he's writing to encourage them. You be patient. You be like John. You do what God has called you to do. And you be faithful in all the ministry. And the number three is already up there. He wrote it to encourage the churches. If you've got your Bible open, I'd love for you to turn this, turn to chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse, um, um, and we're going to read two or three. It's the context here of the seven seals. And and they're, they're, they're looking at these cells and a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice in verse 2, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And John says, and no one in heaven and on earth or under the eighth was to open the, able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. John is just weeping bitterly because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. But verse 5 says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And listen to what John says. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, etc. I just love this. I put it on the screen. John looked for a lion, but he found a lamb. The Lamb of God. And, and this word is very graphic here when it says, 
a lamb as though it had been slain. The word slain there means slaughtered. It, it means ripped to shred. It means absolutely killed, gutted, drained, put on the altar. It, it, the, the lamb had been slain. He did all of that for you and all of that to me. It, it, it goes back to speak of his character, doesn't it? It speaks of his character that he is the one who has given us grace. He is the one who has, has given his whole life for us. I just love the thought. He looked for a lion, and he found a lamb, the lamb of God. Jesus is encouraging the churches. And so when they see this, worship breaks out. And afterward, in verse 8, the 24 elders fall down and say, worthy is the lamb. You're worthy to open the scrolls. And just, uh, I mean, all of heaven got shaken up because one was found who was worthy because the worthy was the lamb of God. Next major point, Jesus and his glory. And these characteristics are pretty self-explanatory, I think. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. But Jesus and his glory, we look and see, first of all, that Jesus is seen in, um, uh, in, in these verses. He turned and he saw, verse 13 and following, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. A white robe and golden sash speaks to me of his um, purity, his royalty. He is king. Number two, he has white hair. White hair indicates wisdom. It indicates experience. He deserves the position that God has given him. Number three, his eyes were aflame with fire. That indicates to me penetrating, purity, examining everything and burning up anything that is not his. Number four, he had bronze feet. Bronze in the Scripture always refers, as verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Bronze always speaks in the Scripture of judgment, always speaks of judgment. What was the altar of the tabernacle made of? It was a brass altar. What was the altar of, um, uh, or the brass laver, uh, the, I just gave it away, the laboratory, the basin that they washed their hands and feet in before going into the tabernacle, it was made of brass. The tent of, of the, the tabernacle that covered the holy place and the holy of holies, every one of the posts were set in bronze. And the fence that covered the, the outside of the tabernacle, it was 75 feet uh, by, by 50 feet by 75. It was a, a perfect rectangle. Every one of those posts were set in bronze. But do you know what the cap was? Silver. Silver speaks of redemption. This Bible, God is approachable. And God has said, yes, your sin must be judged. But if you will come to me, your sin will be judged. You will be cleansed and redemption will flow. Redemption will flow. His, uh, his feet were like burnished bronze. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Going to, yeah, going to the next slide. His voice was like many, uh, many waters. It's again, showing his authority. His mouth, out of his mouth came a uh, 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 a two-edged sword, the Word of God, sharp and penetrating. And then the last one, the last characteristic that we see of the glorified Jesus. This is who Jesus really is. He's not the lamb slain on the cross. It's the, the, the one beaten. Be, uh, the Scripture says beyond recognition. He hardly had any visions even as a man. No movie can make, can do justice to what Jesus actually went through for us on that cross. 
He went through that, and now he is resurrected, and he is glorified with a white robe, white hair, eyes aflame of fire, bronze feet, voice with great authority, his mouth, as the word of God comes out in his face shining like the sun. Remember in the Old Testament, Moses' face shone after he had been with God. We remember the Shekinah glory, the fire, the pillar of fire that was over the tabernacle, and when it would move, they would move. It was a pillar of fire by, by, by night and a pillar of cloud by, by day. It was, that's the glory of God, and Jesus is shining like the sun. And so how do we respond to a Jesus like this? It's there for you on the screen, but just think about this. John fell at his feet as though dead. That seems like a pretty reasonable response, doesn't it, doesn't it to you? If Jesus were to appear as pictured right here in the midst of us this morning, I have a feeling all of us would be on our faces before him. To be in the presence of the glorified, risen Christ. But Jesus would then say to us, just like he said to John, fear not. And when he said, fear not, do you know what our next, re uh, next reaction would be? We'd be mobbing him. We'd get him so close. We'd want to touch him. We'd just want to say thank you. We'd just want to worship. We'd be crying in tears. We'd be falling at his feet as though dead, but then we'd be just worshiping him and enjoying him in the powerful, powerful um, way that, um, uh, that we would want to worship him. Our response be raised up by the living Lord and then obey him and serve him. Obey him and serve him. The Scripture says, and I want to turn to this and, and read it as I conclude the message this, um, this morning. <clears throat> We're talking about the real Jesus, the one that the Scripture describes. And John says in Revelation 19, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had name written that would no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron." He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his name, as on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus comes in that way, does it sound to you like he's coming for a negotiation? Does it sound like he's coming to help those who help themselves? Does it sound like he's, he's wanting to say, well, if you've tried really hard and if you tried to be a good person and you went to church and you tried to obey the, the Ten Commandments and, and you were just an all-around good person, yeah, I'll grade on the curve. And No, Jesus is not coming to negotiate. Well, let's go back to the very first point of this message. Salvation is either of God or it's of man. And if salvation is of God, then you've got to come to God God's way. And God says we come before him as broken sinners. We fall at his feet as though dead. And we look to him and say, Jesus, I have sinned. I, I am a sinner. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to, 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 to even be in your presence. As 
Peter said it one time, and the prodigal son was going to say that to his father as well. And Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's who Jesus is. He offers salvation, and his salvation is free. It's all by grace. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He'll deal with your sin, but he offers salvation by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. That's the real Jesus. That's the one that we need to keep in our mind. There are lots of hymns and, and songs and talk about Jesus meek and lowly, meek and mild, and what a friend we have in Jesus. And he is our friend, but he's not to be trifled with. He is Lord. He is King of kings. But you know what? If you know him, he's your king, and he's my king. And he's made us kings and priests to be right along with him and, and serve him. It just, it just blows my mind. It just, I wish I had enough voice to just get really excited and you know, have a spell up here. It, it is just incredible to be in relationship with a holy God. Father, we come to you now. And Lord, we just want to say that we love you. We thank you for loving us. And we thank you for the beautiful picture of the living, resurrected Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation. And I just have to step back, Lord, and just say, wow. To be in relationship with you, Lord, it's just, wow. It's just, it's just unbelievable. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I count everything as loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Oh, thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for who you are, for what you have done. And thank you that we serve a risen Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that, that we're coming to the Lord's table now to um, be ministered to by you. You have invited us to sup with you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Lord, as we come, let us keep in our minds the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, risen, glorified, coming in glory, King of kings, and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Is as your custom every 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 Sunday? And I love that. That is a, a is beautiful, beautiful. And I want to ask the uh, the deacons to come forward that will be serving uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, just be here, and um, uh, the the cup is here. I assume the bread is maybe under it. I don't know. Okay, you've you've got it. Ah, okay, you got it. Uh, got it a double there. And so what I want you to do, okay, since you've got it that way, let's pass it through, through the people. But, but wait, I'm not quite ready. <laughs> the Bible says that we should come to a time of self-examination. Realize who you're coming to dinner with. The Lord Jesus who said, I have eagerly desired to have this supper with you. He eagerly desires it. He, he anxiously awaits but he wants us to come clean. He wants us to come ready. He wants us to come humble. He wants us to come admitting our brokenness and thanking him that without him, we would have absolutely no hope. That's who we're coming for. So let's just have a word of prayer now, just briefly. Father, speak to us. Help us now to examine ourselves. Help us, Lord, to confess any sin that there is that we need to confess. 
Lord, if there's a broken relationship that we need to get right, let us commit right now to make that relationship right so that we can come and, and, and have sweet fellowship with you right now. And so, Lord, we, we just ask that as the elements are going to be passed in just a moment, that you, Lord, would speak to us and examine us and let us be, we can never be totally worthy, but in Jesus, he's called us, and we can take this in a worthy manner. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now please pass it up to the, to the people. And as you wait quietly there with your cup, some of you may remember that I suggested this the last time I was here, that as you're meditating about Jesus and meditating on his life and his sacrifice for you, take the cup and hold it and see if you can hold it so perfectly still that there's no movement in the juice. And you'll find that you can't because there's a pulse in your thumb and your finger and it causes the juice <coughs> excuse me, to vibrate. Let that remind you that Jesus' blood was fresh spilled. And the Bible says in Revelation, we've already read it, that he washed us. And he's coming with a robe dipped in blood. So just meditate on the Lord Jesus. Think about him right now. Rejoice in him. Take the cup that has the bread. The scripture says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And it says that Jesus took the cup. And he said, This is this cup is the New Testament of my blood. And often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And then there's a final element to the Lord's Supper that we should never overlook. Paul says that as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So to me, the Lord's Supper involves preparation. We prepare our hearts. It involves accepting the invitation to come. It involves celebration of the Lord's Supper, receiving fellowship with Him in a special way. It involves proclamation, proclaiming His death until He comes. Sounds strangely like Revelation chapter 1, doesn't it? In chapter 19, we proclaim His death till He comes. Lord Jesus Thank you. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you for the sweet moment of taking the Lord's Supper and doing it in the context of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Bless us, Lord. May our lives reflect Jesus to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.